Hello, podcasters. Teresa McBean here at North Star Community, and I am here with our ever-faithful, ever-present. Probably not ever-present, but I'm here as much as I can be, and I am Scott. I am the other pastor at North Star Community, sometimes called the associate pastor, sometimes called the ass pastor. Yeah. The last one's my favorite. Uh, Speaking of favorites, uh, I really love this message. Um... I think one of the things I love most about the message that I hope we'll be able to communicate on the podcast is I thought your examples were spot on, and you know I'm a big fan of your examples. But the other thing I love about the messages you do is you often open my eyes to see the scriptures in ways that I've never seen them before. And this passage is one of those. I love it when you talk about parables, and I love when you're able to synthesize them down in a way that not only makes sense to me, but helps me um, live a little bit differently week to week. So I love this message, and I want you to get right into it. (laughs) Um, So this um, kind of are on a series at this point in our um, message history about uh, what's God up to in the world? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's a um, that's complicated territory, of course. Um, and so one of the questions I think we're kind of wrestling with is where do we see God at work? How do we know what he's up to? What kinds of things might he be doing? Um, those are questions that everybody's interested in and, you know, people answer in, in very, very, very different ways. And so... Um, sometimes I try to think about some, you know, some of the parts of scripture that aren't quite as obvious, you know, or ones that don't get a lot of attention because they're, um, either seem vague or ambiguous or things like that. So with the particular parable that we started talking about is this parable that's, that's very, very strange. And I don't know if I've ever heard anybody preach on it in my life. Um, we talked about it in class some when I was in school, but it's not one that you hear people preach on very often because there's just not much going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, I, I don't think people, uh, I don't think it's neglected because people are bad at reading or anything like that. I think it's just like, it's almost so simple that there's not much to say. Mm-hmm. And so it's this parable where I'll kind of do a summary version rather than reading it because I don't have a um, I don't have a Bible handy. But it's essentially the language is something like God's kingdom. Um, <laughs> now I'm kind of wishing I had my Bible, but essentially the idea is that God's kingdom comes in like crops that grow overnight while the farmer is asleep. Right. And um, and there's even a line in there about how he w- he uh, goes out and looks at the crops. And he doesn't even know how they got there. And so a couple of things I always like to emphasize when we talk about parables and we talk about God's kingdom. God's kingdom is essentially a new reality that God is in the process of bringing uh, to his creation, to earth. And it's it's a reality based on his ideal vision for life, which is a life based on things like grace, mercy, forgiveness, love, peace, compassion. A kinder, gentler world. If yeah. You a kinder, gentler world, um, a kinder, gentler way of being. 
And um, Boy, I wish he'd hurry up. You wish God would hurry up or you wish I would hurry up? No, I wish he would hurry up. Oh, yeah. I'd, you know, um, I'm ready for some kinder, gentler world kind of stuff going on here. But um, part of the reason why I like to draw attention to this parable, and I've done it a few times in my almost eight years here, is that so often we've been trained to look for grand gestures, Mm -hmm. right? So like you read in the podcast last week, somebody trying to say that what God is up to is he's, he's allowing terrorist attacks and he's allowing hurricanes and such like that such things like that, which we don't agree with, but but you read about faith leaders talking about God either being present in these grand gestures or God allowing these grand gestures, and that's where we know God is. He's in the big stuff. Or God sends these grand gestures. Or sends them, you know... To smite us. Right. Whatever the case may be, we've been trained to think about grand big things. And so then it becomes... Oh, there's a few things that happen as a result of that, which is... Um, you're only looking for grand things, and then and then because of that, it often becomes difficult to think about God participating in a normal, regular, everyday life, right? Yes, and I think also that um, I think, and, and I'm going to uh, leave your excellent topic for just a second to add one in my own, but it, I think it also is not only do we expect God to be in the grand, big ve- gestures, but I think there is some sense— or at least I was trained in this way, to believe that God was into excellence. So not only did the gestures have to be grand and big, but they had to be done with excellence. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, So I I do think that that's kind of where I can see why people ignore this parable, because it's kind of the anti-message to that in some ways. Well, and I think one of the other messages is that um, everybody needs to be really busy and everybody needs to be doing the work, you know, because how else is it going to get done if people aren't really busy and they're out knocking on doors and they're doing all of this stuff, like everybody has to do everything all the time. And instead, what we have here is a parable where it's essentially saying that this new reality is God's work, not human's work. There's a few layers here. It's work that he's doing. Right. Um, it's happening slowly and quietly. You know, that's what I sort of take away from overnight while you're sleeping. It's happening while you're not paying attention. Right. You're not even alert. You're not seeing it happen. Right. And then when it's actually there, you're wondering, well, how did this come to be? I didn't see this happening. Right. And so there's this grand mystery is that it's coming, but you're not really seeing it while it's happening. You know, and so there's always this question, you know, is like, if God's so at work, why don't we see it happening? And I always think about this parable when, I mean, I think that's a very legitimate question to wrestle with. And I never, when people ask that in our, in our services or, or after, or before, or after our services, you know, I try to affirm that question. It's an important one to wrestle with, but at the same time, it's kind of like, God has kind of shown us that this is how it happens. It's happening so mysteriously, it's like you wouldn't even notice it. Yeah. Until it's here. You know, I know that when you're doing these messages, you're thinking about, as I do, our community. But I can't help but think about how important it is for you and I 
um, and for other pastors to keep this in mind. Right. You know, uh, pastoral burnout and all manner of stress-related pastoral misbehaviors that go on. You know, people always act like those are so mysterious, but um, the modern-day pastor is under a lot of pressure uh, to perform and to achieve. And um, so I think this is a message for uh, helpers and, well, for all of us, but I think the helpers and especially uh, helpers within faith communities and pastors, man, if we could just hold on to this uh, in the onslaught of high achievement, excellence, performance, and productivity, it would do us well. Yeah, I yeah, I think it's kind of, you know, I think the stuff that's been drilled into any person of faith is that um, if you take your hands off the wheel, even for a second, then the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket. And so you have to be diligent, and you have to be paying attention, and yada, yada, yada. And to me, like, that message creates a lot of anxiety for us, and it's not necessarily an accurate one. It's like God's hands are the ones that are on the wheel. Right not ours, we're riding in the car, and there may be some things that we have to do from time to time, but um, yeah, that's why I think it's a pretty universal message. I think there's a lot of anxiety about uh, spiritual performance, which I think is is kind of what you were talking about. Hey, do you, um, are you, like I forget when things happen because I'm terrible with anything to do with numbers, including time. Are you old enough to remember the years when the bumper sticker was so popular where it said, God is my (laughs) co-pilot? Well, bumper stickers are still popular, and that one is still out there. But so, yes, I do. I mean, there was a time when that one was like a top 10 bumper sticker, right? (laughs) And I always thought, I don't want God to be my co-pilot. Like, I want God to be the pilot, and I want to... You know, I'd prefer first-class seating, but I'd settle for business class, right? I don't even want to be in the cockpit. (laughs) Um, That seems like a lot of pressure. Um, And I think that that's kind of what this message is saying to us. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, you know, I tend to always look for opportunities to say that people can relax because God is actually the one that's in control. And it seems like that should be you know, a fairly standard thing, but I guess it's not for some reason. But all that kind of, you know, that sort of led me to thinking about, you know, for thinking about this question, where is God at work? How do we see him at work? Then one of the things we should be thinking about is we should be looking for the types of things that God might be doing and not the types of things we think he should be doing based on our perspective. Right. Right. So we've been trained to think that God is most present where there are the most people. Uh We've been trained to think that God is most present where there is the most drama, you know, where there are things that... Hurricanes, wars hurricanes, and rumors of war. Yeah, or, or you know, like there are places that are that exist solely to create miracles, right? Like there's faith right. communities that, that only survive based on, you know, the fact that miracles happen there every week. Right. And I don't mean to demean that, and that's, you know, certainly probably an important part of our existence, but I don't think that's the only time God is present, right? Right. And we've been trained to think that God is most present where there is the most money. I mean, which is, you know, I mean, I I think about the Joel Osteens of the world. There's 80,000 people gathering and, 
Millions right. upon millions of dollars, and surely God is here. Right. You know, but we have this passage that says God's doing his thing when you're not paying attention. Right. You know, God's doing his thing when you're asleep. It's it's almost as if he doesn't even want you to see that it's happening or doesn't really want the credit, you know, which sort of calls into question the idea that God's a dramatic God, or which he probably is, but I mean, I think you get what I'm saying, you know. Right. Um, so yeah, we've been trained so diligently to look for grand gestures that I think we can miss the humble everyday nature of the way in which God works. You know, when we've been taught to think that God is only present in the grand gestures, he's only present where there's a lot of money, where there's a lot of drama, where there's a lot of people, we miss the fact that God has essentially told us that he's working in these subtle, humble ways that are easy to miss. Right, which means that if we're trying to figure out where he is, then then we we might want to be thinking about subtle, humble things where he might be working, rather than uh, where we would be more inclined to look, which is like, where's there something amazing happening? Right, right. Where's where's the big jet? Where's the grand gesture? Have, I think of the little kid in um, the movie The Incredibles. Okay. Um, so there's like they live in this The Incredibles. It's a family of superheroes. It's a cartoon. It's very funny. You should see it. And I think at the end, uh, there's this little kid who's in their neighborhood who's like wheeling around on a big wheel and he's in their driveway and he's like staring at them. I'm probably going to get some of the details of this wrong, but he said, the, the dad, I think says to him, what are, what are you looking at or something? Or what are you, what are you waiting for? Or something the kid says, I don't know, something amazing, I guess, you know, <laughs> And yeah. it's like, I think about this kind of the same way, like, what are you looking for? And everybody's like, something amazing, I guess. But that's not really, that's not really what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of reminded of uh, the time that um, we had a birthday dinner uh, for Christian for his third birthday. And really, it was just the simplest little thing. We hadn't gone to any trouble at all. I mean, it was just a dinner because it happened to be his birthday. Mm-hmm. And um, so we didn't do a single thing fancy. And at one point, he looks up and he goes, this is the best party ever. <laughs> and um, I think that little, that that we lose a lot of that sense of just like grand wonder. Yeah. Um, and I think at the ordinary, yeah. And I think I think you've got more support in the scripture than than this yeah. weird one about the crops. I mean, what about the parable of the mustard seed? Yeah. Well, there's there's like three stories back to back to back that I think all drive home this point. And I think um, to me, that's what makes it an even more a, a very significant point. It's not just like this one thing that's buried in amongst a, a bunch of other stuff. There's this parable of the mustard seed. God's kingdom is like a a very small seed that grows into something very large, which suggests that it starts small and it grows slowly and eventually becomes something rather large. You know, but again, it's a very similar idea to what's going on with the farmer and the crops. You know, it it starts as something small and humble that you wouldn't even uh, recognize as something that was being grand enough to be of God, right? Right, And then that's followed by this story of Jesus calming the storm, which is essentially a story about people who've seen Jesus walk around and preach and do miracles. 
and still not have really a clue about what God is up to. Jesus calms the waters, and they're, the first thing they say is, uh, what kind of person can do this? Right. Who is this that can do this kind of thing? Right. And it's almost as if Jesus, God in the flesh, himself, uh, his own ministry, his own life, his own work, his own way of being, was so small and humble that the people who were right there to witness all of this stuff going on couldn't quite get it. Well, he didn't even get a five-year public ministry pen, much less 10 or 20. Right. Um, you have been in ministry almost three times as long as Jesus was. <laughs> <laughs> How does that make you feel? Um, and um, Worthless. And, and so this is a guy who, on a lot of measures, not only started small, but ended small. Um, yeah. So yeah, when when people talk, Jesus must have been a two because he was a helper on the Enneagram. Right. Jesus must have been an Enneagram too. I'm like, hmm. There's not much about his personality that seems helpful to me. But I always think about the nine. He starts small and peters out. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Enneagram talk for those of you that don't know the Enneagram. That was about 20 seconds of your life that you'll never get back. That's right. But uh, all of that brings me to say that. Um, when it comes to figuring out what God is up to, maybe we should start thinking small rather than large. Um, I think of somebody who, who began coming to North Star sometime within the last few months, who obviously had a really difficult time coming in here for the first time, you know, had a really difficult time showing up, coming to groups, just felt very awkward you know you could tell was just probably hurting but also it's just hard to walk into a building for the first time and hard to walk in and say that you're a person who needs help right and this is a person who didn't just walk in once but has walked in almost every time the doors have been opened since yeah and to me that is so much courage yeah right and i think about the passage that god's strength is made perfect in our weakness which yeah. kind of means that like when we're at the end of our rope and we have nothing left to give, sometimes God can carry us a bit right, and give us strength that we don't have on our own to do things that we need to do. And I see God in that, you know, and it's something small and humble that, that maybe most people don't recognize or, or wouldn't recognize because they weren't looking small enough. But I'm like seeing God's power made perfect. Um in this person who courageously shows up when they might want to do anything else. Right. Um, and not only that, but to see this person continue to plug away at showing up and then to see them slowly get connected and slowly come out of a shell and smile and interact. And um, I've just really seen God at work in this person's life. And if we weren't willing to look for the humble things, then we could miss that. Not only could we miss it, but we wouldn't even be willing to create an environment where the possibility of that could even happen. Yeah. So I would say not only should we look small, you know, but we should look 
at any example of, of something in our lives that points us towards a gentler way of being, knowing that that's the kind of reality that God is creating, and therefore God must be somehow present in that. So when I think about this, I think, for example, about our yoga class on Monday night mm-hmm. and how uh, my friend Dida so faithfully comes in and prepares the space. And sometimes she's preparing the space for two of us to show up. Mm-hmm. And our yoga instructor keeps showing up, even if sometimes only two of us show up. And, um, you know, nobody cares that that's happening. I mean, Dida doesn't complain that she's showing up early to light a hundred more candles than people <laughs> that are there. And yet every person there on Monday goes, oh, my gosh, this feels so beautiful. This is such a beautiful space. This is so great. You know, so whether it's two or ten who are there, they are receiving something that they can articulate as being big in their lives. Uh, But I doubt that Dida thinks she's doing anything big. Yeah, and we should always be willing to show two people that they really matter. Yeah. You know, like, it, it's funny how sort of counterintuitive this is because it's almost it's almost easier, you know, if 100 people were showing up for it, you know, you could very easily justify showing up and doing the candles. Right. But just one of those 100 people is is much less likely to feel like a service has been done than if two people show up and you're going to an effort right. to open the place up and host them. Right. Right. So like you're actually able to receive more when there are fewer people there. Right. Right. I think. I agree. Because it feels like because it feels like you're doing it for that person. Yeah. You know, as opposed to doing it for a whole crowd. Yeah. So all that to say, you know, if we think about what God's trying to do in bringing this new reality, if he's trying to bring a kinder, gentler world defined by grace, mercy, forgiveness, love, compassion, peace, joy, whatever else we might say, right? then um, those are the kinds of things that are likely to reveal to us God's presence. Have you had... Because I know what it's like when you're trying to create a message, you are very often actually thinking about the things you're going to suggest that somebody else do. So when you were creating this message, and as you've been thinking, and I know you think about this a lot. I mean, this is a, if I were going to say, you know, what are the 20 things that Scott really encourages us thematically to think about, I think this is one of those things that's really your thing. And I was wondering if... What what specific part do you mean? Well, I think that you are often telling us to look for the small, look for the small thing. Oh, interesting. I I think you say that a lot, and I I always appreciate it. Have you ever had anything like that lately in the past couple of months show up for you that was a small thing that made a big difference for you? Yeah, um... Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things. I mean, one, um, I think that uh, probably most people at North Star have heard me complain about the fact that there was a chance that I was going to get 
kicked out of the degree program that I'm in at VCU yeah. over a logistical miscommunication. Um, and one of my professors who I hadn't even met in person at the time, but had only had me in online classes, basically sent out a, an email to the whole department saying, you know, based on the type of work that he does and the type of student that he's been, I think, you know, we should make an exception to our policy because this will be a net good for the community if a person who's doing this work is able to get the kind of education that we offer. And I just thought that was, I thought that was a really beautiful thing because I would have, I would have wanted them to be able to see past me. Right. You know, it wasn't about me getting to stay in. There's a thousand degree programs out there. Right. You could have You know, I could have done one anywhere. It's not that big of a deal, but, you know, I thought, you're in our community. In fact, we partner with VCU to do our family education program. Right. Like, I'm not saying I deserve an exception because of that. I'm saying, look at the impact that, you know, that, that we can have together, you know, right. if we're collaborating. Which is another one of our big things is we're always trying to build a spider web of netting for people as a community resource. And again, it's small stuff, but it can have a huge impact in our opinion. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that was, you know, I thought that was a really beautiful thing. It was like, you know, it, you know, it was a being able to see, um, it was being able to see that, that this wasn't something they were doing for me, but that they thought, you know, I know they're not thinking about it in spiritual terms, but there's a good that's going to come from from making this exception, right? I know I'm not making sense. Oh, you're totally making sense. And I, could I add on to that? Yeah. Again, I keep going off the reservation. But in um, Barbara uh, Brown-Taylor's latest book, Holy Envy, uh, she makes a very big thematic point about how often people who are distinctly not quote, part of uh, uh, the Israelite tribe or the burgeoning Christian um, movement that we see in the New Testament, but how these strangers from foreign lands come in and, and teach us things that are really important. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, she makes a pretty strong case for the fact that this happens on quite a regular basis in the scriptures. And all of them are seemingly small things, but she pointed out in her book what a powerful impact that can have. So not only are we looking for the things that we think are explicitly spiritual, but also for things that um, are not uh, explicitly Christian but serve the same purpose of being supportive of ushering in this new way of being, this new gentler, uh, kinder way of being. Yeah. I had an even smaller example. Um, okay. Even, even humbler, but, um, you know, I go to a, um, uh, you know, I go to a restaurant, let's say, um, on a regular basis, and I've gotten to kind of know the staff there and whatnot, and um, I've had conversations and had uh, rather difficult conversations with some of some of them about their lives and what's going on and 
they know that I'm both a pastor and a counselor in training, and so, you know, I'm occasionally asked for feedback on how to handle difficult situations and things like that. And so periodically when I'm in there, they will um, give me food. You know, they will, like, give me some free food, you know, as kind of like a thank you almost for listening. Yeah. You know, or 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 free um, coffee drinks, you know, or, like, if they're workshopping something, they'll let me try it and right. um, get feedback and things like that. And these are nice things that, that they do because um, they appreciate the fact that I'm just there listening. Yeah. You know, and I yeah. think that um, I receive that as a gift, you know, somebody recognizing, hey, you know. Your presence matters. Yeah, your presence matters. I, pre you know, I recognize that you could just come in and buy your coffee and leave and go about your business. But, you know, you listen to us, you pay attention to us, you ask us questions, you know. And so to me, it's like I, I feel like they are trying to care for me and I receive it that way. Yeah. And that's something that they don't have to do, right? right? I mean, certainly right. it could just be a perfunctory exchange and everybody goes about their business, but instead I think we all feel cared for. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. And I think that that is the kind of world that God is trying to create, one where everyone feels cared for. Right. Um, and that's the, the essential spirit of this kinder, gentler way of being that's coming about slowly, almost as if, we can't even see it. You can't even imagine it. Yeah. You know, um, I think that one of the things that you've said that I think we've driven home is that uh, God is doing all this, you know, and um, this is all God's work. But I, I also think that what you're not saying is that people don't get credit for being decent. Right. Uh, but it just means that the capacity to be decent is something that comes from God and is a sign that God is at work. Yeah, and I think that, that that's such a crucial point because it reminds us that it doesn't have to be something that's beyond people to recognize God at work, right? right. That's kind of why I tell the story about being the recipient of the food, you right. know, is like, right. I can see God at work in this, even if they don't see it that way or don't experience it that way. I see it as a sign of this kinder, gentler way of being that's coming and that God must therefore be behind it somehow, some way. And so that we can look for encounters with other people as signs of God being at work and not just extraordinary circumstances that are beyond sort of what people can do. Does that make sense? It does. And I think it also, the opposite uh, serves as a warning as well that it can also mean that um, um, we really ought to tilt our head a little bit when um, anything we seek to do in the name of God is not gentler and kinder. Yeah. So I think it also serves as a warning for that. Um, that could or should be a whole message on its own, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that what you're saying is if we're going to ask the question, where's God at work, or how can I see God at work, then we might first ask the question, uh, what types of things does God do? 
Um, what is he trying to accomplish? And I think what you've said is, hey, he's trying to bring about a kinder, gentler world defined by all these lovely things like grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and peace and joy, and that this is where we should be looking. Yep. And we should be willing to look for that in any kind of vessel that it shows up in. Yes, no question. And when there is an absence of that, no matter how religiously well-connected or well-known uh, we are, we ought to tilt our head at that and, and pause. We ought to mm-hmm. give a pause. Yep. Well, I think we've, um, we've covered your, your message. What do you think? Are we yeah, done? Yeah, more than, more than, yep. Um, yeah, do you have anything that you uh, want to recommend uh, this week? Did I recommend Holy Envy last week? I'm not sure. I was trying to remember that because I, when you were talking about it before, I thought that would be another good, um, that would be a good recommendation. I feel like you probably did, but um, it's getting hard to remember. Well, I'll, I'll recommend two then. If I didn't recommend it last week or you missed last week's podcast, which I can hardly believe happened, uh, I would recommend Holy Envy by Barbara Brown Taylor. It's a beautiful book about her experiences um, teaching a world religion class in a small Christian college in Georgia. Now, if that is a duplicate and you've already rushed out and purchased the book, please don't worry because I've got another book in mind for you. I recommend a book by a woman by the name of Beatrice Chestnut. And I mean, honestly, can we say that's the greatest name ever? And it's called The Complete Enneagram. So if you uh, often wonder about our references to the Enneagram and you're at all curious, that's another good book that's out on the market that uh, might be something you want to take a look at in terms of learning about what this strange thing called the Enneagram really is. Those are my recommendations. What are you going to recommend? Well, to piggyback off that, um, just because... um you know, we love Suzanne Stabile so much, who has who has come and been our Enneagram teacher for so long, then I'll recommend The Enneagram Journey. Well, she has uh, two books out. One is The Enneagram Journey, and then one is The Enneagram and Relationships. So we'll just make it a whole Enneagram theme today, uh, since it comes up in the podcast just about every week, which, you know, um, it's probably bound to get annoying. But there's also various podcasts out there that you can listen to. I don't really know the names of them. Cause well, the Enneagram Journey, I think that is. Is that a podcast that is as Suzanne's well? Suzanne's I couldn't remember. But if, oh, you, if you Google Suzanne Stabile, S-T-A-B-I-L-E, her books will come up as well as her podcast. And right. And, the, and there's a it. lot of different uh, podcasts by a lot of different teachers. So. Oh, yeah. There's yeah, a lot. Yeah, you can try um, any number of things. Yeah. Uh, and in addition to that, so let's just make this a whole commercial thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suzanne will be in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, January 3rd and 4th. Yeah. And you can go on the North Star Community website, which is northstarcommunity.com, to register for that. And uh, we'd, love to, we'd love to have you. Yep. 
All right, um, whatever music you hear on this podcast, whenever it happens to play, is going to come courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. They can be found on the web at sessions.blue. Once again, we are North Star Community, and you can find us at northstarcommunity.com. We are really appreciative for you and the work that you're doing in your life and the fact that you listen to us. So thank you for that, and we will be back soon.